The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. We are in 1 Corinthians 12, and by way of summary, we're going through this epistle from the Apostle Paul that he wrote to his former congregation, the church at Corinth that he started and planted and pastored and then stayed in contact with even when he was away from them, planting other churches and answering their questions and giving them advice and even some new revelations, solving some problems. And they had many problems because they were sinful, like all of us, even though we're saved. If we are Christians, we are still sinful and battle sin and are short-sighted and finite and walk with feet of clay and in a fallen world. And so we need ongoing, continual help and guidance from God. And so that's what Paul's doing through this letter to help his beloved flock, the Corinthians, and we are now in chapter 12, and chapter 12, 13, and 14 is this new section that deals with spiritual gifts and how they were being abused by the Corinthian Christians. And so Paul's trying to sort them out. And along the way, God's going to be able to help focus our thinking and maybe even sort us out as we have today some wrong thinking about spiritual gifts or maybe some ignorance uh, on different levels. So this is just going to be a helpful and fruitful study as we're on about week five of going through First Corinthians 12, and already we've had a lot of feedback from different folks from a lot of different perspectives uh, as people are being engaged with God's Word about spiritual gifts. This is a highly important topic in the Christian world today, and I've mentioned it's also highly controversial among Christians around the world, spiritual gifts, because there are so many different perspectives. But just because there are many perspectives doesn't mean God isn't clear about His perspective. He is very clear in his word. We, that's the plumb line. We've got to keep going back to scripture. Not personalities or this and that latest movement or this and that latest book or this influential character, pastor, whatever. It's, we've got to keep going back to God's word on every issue, and that includes spiritual gifts. So this is going to be a practical and fruitful study for us. Uh, let me read verses 1 through the beginning of verse 10, and then we'll go ahead and talk about the two spiritual gifts that are listed by Paul today. So Paul says, now concerning, I'm changing topics now, I'm going to transition from talking about the Lord's table and those kind of problems, to a new topic that's been an issue, and that's spiritual gifts. So now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers or brethren, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, I don't want you to be unaware or ignorant. Well, you know that when you were pagans or unbelievers, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, or but to each Christian is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one Christian is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another believer the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by one Spirit, and to another the affecting of miracles or the working of powers. We'll go ahead and stop there. 
Right now, Paul lists nine spiritual gifts in a row, and we actually want to stop and explain each one of those spiritual gifts, what they are. And I believe it's been helpful up to this point. So far, we have explained the word of wisdom, what that gift was, the word of knowledge. Last week, we talked about uh, the spiritual gift of faith, and we had uh, a dozen-plus people with the gift of faith show up at prayer meeting last Monday night. That was awesome. So thank you for those of you who came and prayed, and we prayed for the whole church. And if you weren't able to make it, just so you know, we prayed for you. And God continues to bless our times of prayer. So last week was the gift of faith. And then this week we are looking at two more spiritual gifts. And I'm picking two. Last week was just one, but I'm picking two today because they go together, uh, these two spiritual gifts. They're miraculous gifts or uh, miracle gifts. And they are called, at the end of verse 9, uh, gifts. Plural, gifts of healings. By the way, it's plural. Healings, not healing singular, but healings. Different kinds of healings. Different gifts of different kinds of healings. It's plural because there are different kinds of diseases that need healings. So there was this spiritual gift uh, known in Paul's day and the Corinthians. They were familiar with this gift, the gift of healings. Some Christians have the gift of healings. And then the other gift, it's, and it's given by the Holy Spirit and in the beginning of verse 10. And to another, the affecting or the working of miracles. Some translations say powers, which is actually a better translation. That's a literal translation because that's important to keep that in mind. Verse 10, miracles is too generic. Miracles is like a big umbrella term. But the Greek word used here in verse 10 is actually dunamis, where we get the word dunamis where actually that's where, where dynamite comes from and finds its origin. And it means powers. The gift of powers is a better way to say it. And most of the time, at least in my survey of the New Testament, uh, the gift of healings and the gift of powers go together. They are not identical, but they are complementary. Um, and the gift of powers or miracles here, better powers, is a very specific kind of miracle. Someone with the gift of miracles or the gift of powers, that doesn't mean they could do any miracle they wanted to any time they wanted to. So that's what we're going to learn today. What was this gift of powers? Uh, and that's clearly illustrated through the life of Christ and his apostles. So we'll get to that. So a couple of preliminary comments regarding uh, these two spiritual gifts we're looking at today. So we're looking at the gifts of healings and the gift of powers. They often said they go together. They are both in the plural, which speaks of their variety of kind of issues that they address. Um, illustrated, like I said, in the life of Jesus Christ and the apostles primarily. There are many in the Christian world today who claim, not many, but there are some who are very influential in the Christian world today who claim that they have the gift of healings and the gift of powers. When we think, But these were legitimate gifts, the gift of healing and the gift of power. Uh, they were alive and well in the days of the Apostle Paul. They were alive and well in the Corinthian congregation. As a matter of fact, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul uh, reminded the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians that when I was with you, I manifested some supernatural, apostolic, amazing sign gifts, miraculous gifts among you in your midst. And Paul mentions these, that he did gifts of healing and he did gifts of power. So no doubt the Corinthians were eyewitnesses of the Apostle Paul who had both of these gifts. The Apostle Paul had the gift of healings and the gift of powers. And apparently the Corinthians got to, at some point, uh, at least some of them, they got to see Paul do some healings using his gift supernaturally. 
And they also got to see the Apostle Paul use his gift of powers to cast out some demons. Because he mentions that in 2 Corinthians 12. We know that the Apostle Paul had both of these gifts by that reference and also many other references through the book of Acts, many references to Paul as he went and did his ministry. He had these abilities and miracles, uh, Romans 15, Thessalonians. It's all over. The Apostle Paul had these unique abilities. Uh, by way of reminder, not every Christian has these gifts, contrary to what we would hear from some today. As I've been studying through uh, the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, because it's such a complicated and potentially divisive and confusing topic, uh, I've been studying a, a variety of works, not just conservative evangelicals who are cessationists and non-charismatic and non-Pentecostals, but I've also been studying and reading up on, watching, listening to even the Pentecostal perspectives on this and the charismatic perspective on this, trying to get the whole gamut of what is being said, especially about each specific gift. And so I did that this week as well and read what some of the most esteemed, respected, charismatic theologians and pastors say on these two specific gifts. Uh, one of them is Dennis Bennett, considered the grandfather of the charismatic modern charismatic movement. And he wrote a pretty extensive book on the spiritual gifts, and actually he knows Greek, and um, so he's a scholar in his own right. And he's very specific on these two gifts. And what he said about this, the gift of, of spiritual of healing was he said that any Christian can do this. Any Christian can wield the gifts of healings. And I'm saying, no, that is not correct. Paul is clear about that in Corinthians. That's the whole point. That's why Paul is saying another, 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 another. He's being very specific to one, to another, to a different one. To this Christian, they get this gift. But this Christian doesn't have that gift necessarily. They might have this gift. That's what Paul's doing here. Let's be clear. So not every Christian, ha I have never had the ability to heal anyone in terms of having a spiritual gift. Have I prayed for healing for people? Yes, that's totally different. We're not talking about that. But the actual gift, so very confusing. You, you might hear that a lot, that uh, there are he those with the gift of healing today of this nature or that any Christian can do this if they are being led by God in a spontaneous moment. And say, No, that's just basically patently false and not true. And not every Christian has the gift of powers either, the ability to exercise powers for whatever those might be. So we're going to talk about those. Um, so that's just preliminary information. Uh, and a basic definition of the gift of healing was a unique ability by select few specific Christians given a supernatural ability by God whereby God intervenes directly and immediately on their behalf to heal people of real chronic diseases and organic diseases instantaneously in accordance with God's will for the purpose of, very important, validating God's messenger and message of the gospel. That was the gift of healing. It wasn't just somebody going around healing everybody just to make them feel better. That's not God's will. By the way, that's a myth when people say, well, God can do anything. No, God can't do anything. God can't sin. What else God can't do? God can't violate his own word. God can't violate uh, vows that he's made upon himself. God vowed he would never flood the world again. God can't flood the world. He's not going to flood the world. He's not going to violate his own nature. So people say, yeah, miracles happen all the time by all kinds of people, and every Christian can do it because God can do whatever he wants to do. No, God, God won't do anything. It has to be consistent with his will, his nature, his word. So we need to be really specific here. 
Um, so the definition of healing, where God supernaturally intervenes, he bypasses the laws of nature to work a visible, manifest miracle of healing on a person for the purpose of validating the message or the messenger who is bringing the gospel with really apostolic authority. I'll just add that in there. The miracle, the gift of powers or miracles, again, better, the gift of powers, dunamis, was the ability supernaturally of uh, an instant ability that somebody had to cast out demons from demon-possessed people. That's pretty much what it's limited to in the Gospels and the Apostles. That's what it is. It's the ability to cast out demons. And in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, it was always instantaneous. With a word, with a command, by an apostle, completely. The ability to cast out demons. I do, just so for the record, I do not have the ability, I do not have the gift of powers. I'm not able to cast out demons as the apostles did and as Jesus did. And I do not have the gift of healings as Jesus did and the apostles. And we'll get more into that. Now, let me give you a definition of healings in the Bible to give us even more clarity so we know what we're talking about. Because when I say things like, uh, well, the apostles have the gift of healing, or maybe I might say, conclude today, the gift of healing is not even around today. Then people might say, oh, wait, so Pastor McManus doesn't believe in healing. Ooh, that, that's not correct. Or Pastor McManus and Jesus, they don't believe in miracles. Ooh, that is not correct. Uh, so let, let me just give you some basic kinds of healing or definitions of healing that you'll find in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Here they are very quickly. Number one, there's natural healing. And I'm, I'm not talking about that. This is something that God graciously, providentially put into the human race whereby our bodies can heal itself. You get a scratch and, and naturally God put in the human body its ability to produce uh, cells and heal itself. Or natural healing can also come with medicine and doctors and God is favorable towards doctors. And Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was a doctor and he did a medical practice. And so I'm not talking, but that's a kind of healing, natural healing uh, through the body or through medicinal ways, and I'm not talking about that in terms of the gift. Uh, the second one is metaphorical or spiritual healing, where in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it talks about the Messiah uh, who dies for sinners, and he gets whipped with a whip, and he gets stripes on his back, and by his stripes you will be healed. In other words, by the death of Jesus Christ, people will be healed. That is not talking about physical healing, but that's what Many in the Pentecostal or Charismatic movement, that's part of their theology. But because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, every Christian has the right to claim a physical healing in light of the atonement in Isaiah 53, 5. But that's not referring to physical healing. That's spiritual healing, metaphorical healing. First Peter quotes that verse in chapter 2, and he says, by Christ, basically he says, by Christ's death and resurrection, you have healing, but it's spiritual healing. It's the forgiveness of sin. That's all it means. So that's the second kind of healing in the Bible. The third kind of healing in the Bible is healing that results from prayer. That's James 5. And every church and every Christian is encouraged to pray for physical healing in the name of God in accordance with God's will at any time. So you can pray for any physical healing at any time uh, before God's throne. And it is God's sovereign decision whether he says yes or no. But we still need to be a people committed to praying for the healing of others. But that's not what we're talking about today. That's not the gift of healing. Any Christian can pray for healing. And God is not obligated to say, yes, I will do that and I will do that now. It is not God's will that every single one of us be healed perfectly right now. Not in a fallen world. Not in sinful bodies. That's not his will. 
But God does miraculously answer those prayers. I know, I was thinking about that this week. Man, I actually know somebody who's a friend of mine whose son was healed of a brain tumor. Miraculously, I believe, as a result of the prayers of the saints. I used to be quite the skeptic of those kind of things, but it's undeniable. That was God's gracious hand in his decision to do that. And God can answer those kinds of prayers. And sometimes God chooses not to because he knows better. or He delays that. Um, so there's healing through prayer. Uh, and then there's random acts of healing that happen throughout the Bible. This is in a, maybe not even as a result of prayer. Healing happens by God's prerogative. I think in the days of Elisha, and they buried him when he died. And then they were burying some other dude, unknown named dude. And then uh, some robbers or marauders were coming. I don't know, maybe they're going to do raid the tombs or whatever. And they took, and it was like, oh, well, we don't have time to bury this guy. Uh, hey, there's Elisha's tomb. Let's throw him in there. Whoop, and they threw him in there, and he landed on Elisha's bones, and the guy came back to life. Uh, that was quite a healing, coming back to life. Um, no person did it. God did, amazingly. So random acts of healing happen throughout the Bible, and that's by God's prerogative, sometimes in answer to prayer, sometimes just by God doing it. And then finally, there's the gift of healing, which we're talking about here. Very narrow, very specific. This is not a gift that existed in the Old Testament. This was a gift that Jesus Christ gave to the church that began um, with the apostles. Uh, starting, they kind of got some preliminary training in the, in the Gospels, but when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, that's when it fully kicked into fifth gear, this gift. So that's what we'll be focusing the rest of our time and attention on, uh, this gift of healing. Um, now, I was going to show a little clip of... When, today, when you go out in the Christian world and you say, and you start talking about the gift of healing or people who have a healing ministry... I'd say the most, there are some most popular names that come to mind in the Christian world and even the unbelieving world. Oh, the gifts, yeah, so-called Christians have the gift of healing. Immediately you would think of Benny Hinn, if you know anything about anything. He is the most prominent, well-known, uh, supposed guy with the gift of healing. At least he claims to have the gift of healing today. Uh, another one just before him that died recently would have been Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts, Oral Roberts University. Oral Roberts claimed to have a healing ministry for over... 50 years. I was actually going to show you a clip, two minutes and 30 seconds of Benny Hinn, but I don't need to. Uh, just go look it up on YouTube yourself. Or maybe you shouldn't do that. But anyway, um, he has been categorically exposed for the last 20 years as an absolute total fraud. Yet, nevertheless, thousands and millions continue to follow him and give money to him. Uh, and he's categorically just a false teacher, false prophet of the worst order, actually. But he claims to have a ministry of healing and the ability to cast out demons. And I would say he doesn't have a ministry of healing. He has a ministry of deception right now. It's very dangerous. And what breaks my heart about it is how many Christians who are sincere and believing real Christians who actually listen to him or will give money to him or tolerate him. Yeah, I'm not that extreme of a Christian, but hey, that's okay. He's, he's doing the work of God, or at least he has. No, he's not. And uh, we need to be warned about that. Uh, read the book of Jude. Read Second Peter. And that's, those books are all about exposing false teachers who claim the name of Jesus, who claim to be a part of the church of Christ, who lead the saints astray, and they do it through false miracles and false words. And it is damnable. It is destructive. 
and it is alive and well in our world today. We need to be discerning people. And so right now, I don't want to focus on the pseudo-gifts or the pseudo-healers. I want to focus on the truth, and that's going to be our litmus test for truth. That will help us to be more discerning. That's a better use of our time anyway. Focus on the truth. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You don't need to study 50 false teachers claim the gift of healings. Just let's study the truth and let's start with Jesus and the scripture and the apostles and that will be sufficient for us in being discerning. So when it comes to the gift of healing and the gift of powers casting out demons, Jesus is our model. So I just want to give you a quick overview about Jesus and how he did miracles. Uh, and let's, uh, all four mir- gospels record uh, the miracles of Jesus. They record his healings. Uh, he is known as the great physician and rightfully so. If you were to summarize Jesus' ministry, Jesus came preaching and teaching and proclaiming the gospel. That is his primary ministry. Jesus didn't come to heal and do miracles. Jesus came to be the Savior and call sinners to repentance and save them. Jesus came to teach and preach the good news. That was the priority of his ministry. To validate the purpose of his ministry... God the Father did miracles through him. So Jesus came preaching and teaching. That was the nature of his ministry. And along with that, to validate, to verify the legitimacy and authenticate his ministry, that Jesus was who he said he was, the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the Messiah, the anointed one of God. That was validated through the miracles he was able to do. Miracles of healing and casting out demons, among other kinds of miracles. So Jesus didn't come to do miracles. Jesus came to preach the good news and save sinners. And that ministry was validated by his ability to do miracles in the name of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance to Scripture. Very, very important. Go to, oh, and just a couple of verses so that you know that that is true. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 5 and John chapter 10 to his critics publicly, especially as he's talking to his critics, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who called him a phony, called him a blasphemer, called for his death. And Jesus took him toe to toe and said, for which one of the miracles that I just did, do you accuse me and call me a blasphemer? Which one of the miracles? So what Jesus was saying is, I just validated my ministry by the nature of the miracles I just did before your very eyes. No demon does that. No false teacher does that. No pseudo-messiah does that. Only a true man of God in fulfillment of the Old Testament can do what I just did. And so it's interesting that his critics responded and said, you know what, we don't deny the miracles. Those Those were real. Those were amazing. They concluded you did it by the power of Satan. He's also supernatural. That's what they said. But... It was clear in the mind of Jesus and the Pharisees that to validate a ministry from God warranted the ability to do miracles, and that's what Jesus did. And so Jesus said, my works validate my ministry. My miracles authenticate who I am and that my message is true. Uh, look at, if you've got your Bible, you can look at Matthew 11. Uh, very important. Matthew 11. Actually, let's start in Matthew. Go to, we'll do a quick survey. Matthew 8 and 9. So if you want to know, where are the miracles of Jesus? Well, if you go to Matthew, they're grouped together in Matthew 8 and 9, thematically. Find all kinds of miracles in Matthew 8 and 9. They are not in chronological order. They're thematically arranged, for the most part. And they're of various and sundry nature. Uh, the first one, Jesus heals a leper in Matthew 8, verse 2. He heals a leper. 
You know, that a leper was something you could actually see. A leper was somebody whose face was emaciated. Maybe they didn't have any more fingers or maybe they were missing an arm and a leg and they couldn't walk and they stunk and they were ugly and they were disgusting and they were festering and you could see it as clear as day. And in Luke chapter 5 and in right here, Jesus instantaneously heals a leper. Fingers popped out and grew. Skin uh, was purified and clean. The, The face grew back. Perfectly healed. Everybody could see it. It was tangible. It was verifiable. It could be authenticated. There were eyewitnesses. It was empirical. It was undeniable. It wasn't hearsay. It wasn't some story. Oh, yeah, over on the mission field in the third world country 10 years ago, so-and-so did a miracle and healed somebody and raised somebody from the dead. Really? Did you see it? No, but I heard about it, so it must be true. Jesus did amazing, verifiable miracles many times in public with hundreds and even thousands of witnesses. Very important. Because it authenticated his ministry. So, and then he heals this leper. Wow, that is not happening today. At least I'm not seeing it. We can do anything Jesus can do. No, we can't. I know I can't. There are miracles, by the way, that Jesus did that no one ever replicated. And, and you'll hear that sometimes in the charismatic Pentecostal world. Uh, Jesus said we do greater works than him. And any Christian could do the works of Jesus and even greater. No, I can't. Oh, ye of my little faith. And it's biblically true. If you look at the miracles of Jesus, there are miracles that no one has ever duplicated, replicated, and especially in the area of the miracles of nature that Jesus did. The apostles never did the miracles of nature. No one, no Christian that I know of in the history of the church has ever done the miracles of nature. I don't see any humans going around doing miracles of nature today like Jesus did. He is unique. He's inimitable. He is God. And that's why he's so distinct and different. Uh, some of the miracles of nature that Jesus did, that no, he walked on water. No one ever walked on water that I know of. Peter did, but that was a miracle of Jesus, not of Peter. Jesus calmed the storm. No one ever did that in the history of the world except Christ alone or God. Jesus turned water into wine. I've never seen that replicated by an apostle. It's not recorded anywhere in the scripture. I've never seen anybody do anything like that. He created food out of loaves and fish. These are all miracles of nature. He controlled a herd of hundreds of pigs by putting demons in them, casting them down a mountain. I've never seen that replicated. He rerouted fish in the ocean so that his apostles could bring them up in a net. That's a miracle of nature that was never replicated. He put, uh, he made a fish chase down a coin and come to Peter so that he could pay his tax. I've never seen that replicated. Jesus went up and cursed and killed a fig tree instantaneously. I've never seen that replicated. These are miracles of nature that no one has ever duplicated. Jesus is unique. But go back to Matthew chapter 8. Jesus has power over disease as he heals the leper. Then in Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 5, there's a paralytic servant. Jesus heals him instantaneously. Jesus has the power over crippled people. So he has the power over disease with the leper, over the crippled with the paralyzed man. Then in verse 14, uh, he goes into Peter's house and his mother-in-law is sick with a fever and Jesus instantly heals her. Jesus has the power over sickness. He has the power over disease, over the crippled, over sickness. Then you go on to verse 16 in chapter 8. Evening came, a demon-possessed man came to him and Jesus instantaneously uh, cast the demon out. So Jesus has power over demons. These are the nature of his miracles. He has the power over disease, the crippled, sickness, demons. More demons in verse 28. More demons in chapter 9. Then you go to verse 18 through 27 in chapter 8. Jesus calms the storm. He has the power over nature. No one alive can do that today. 
Interesting miracle in chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 1 through 8. There was a paralytic, someone paralyzed on a bed that was brought to him. Jesus said in the midst of a public crowd, take courage, son, your sons are forgiven. He didn't say, take courage, arise and walk. He said, your, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees became irate. This guy is a blasphemer. Only God can forgive sins. Which actually was a true statement. Only God. This is what they were thinking. Jesus is a blasphemer. He claims to be able to forgive sins. Who does he think he is? And it says in Matthew 8, 4, 9, 4, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said out loud, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to arise and walk. That's the trick question of the day for you. I'll say it again. Jesus asked, which one is easier to say, literally meant, which one is easier to say and fulfill? That's what he meant. Which one is easier to do? To tell someone your sins are forgiven and voila, your sins are forgiven, or to say a paralytic, arise and walk? The answer is they are equally impossible for a human. Only God could do either. That is his point. Verse 6, but so that you may know, there it is, so that you may know, so that my ministry may be validated and confirmed that I am the Messiah promised by the Old Testament and that my message is true as evidence, as eyewitness testimony so that you will believe who I am. And if you don't, then you're just accountable all the more. I will do the miracle. So he says, get up, take your bed and go. And instantly he got up and went, boom. People were awestruck. They've never seen anything like it. Jesus has the power over sins. And also Jesus has the power uh, over disease and paralysis here. And then uh, it goes on in verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came, bowed down before him, said, my daughter has just died. Jesus said, be healed. And she was healed by his very word. Jesus has the power even over death. It's amazing. So these are the miracles of Jesus. So Jesus manifests his ability to do all kinds of miracles. Casting out demons, miracles of nature, miracles of healing that the people were awestruck by. And as soon as that is done, you go to Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, and it says this. Jesus then in his ministry called his 12 disciples. He chose 12 apostles. He had a bunch of disciples, but he prayed all night. And then he chose out of those many disciples, 12 who would be apostles, sent one in his behalf to replicate his ministry of preaching primarily the gospel of forgiveness. So Jesus calls his 12 apostles to himself and he gave them authority. Delegated authority. What was this authority? He gave them authority over unclean spirits. He gave them, the apostles, the authority to cast out demons. He gave the apostles the spiritual gift of effecting miracles. 1 Corinthians 12, 10. That's who he gave the miracle to, the gift to, the spiritual gift. The apostles were given the spiritual gift of casting out demons of dunamis by Jesus himself. And it's right here. He gave them the authority of unclean spirits to cast them out. And also he gave them the authority to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Notice he's giving this not to all of his disciples, not to any Christian. It is to the twelve. So this is the gift of healing. So these are the two gifts mentioned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. The ability to cast out demons, the gift of healing. 
And then he gives the names of the apostles. And then uh, get this. He says, and then he gives them this command in verse 8. So go and heal the sick. Raise the dead. Wow. The apostles had the gift of healing. And even that gift of healing could be used at times and occasionally with raising people from the dead. It's not a gift given to every Christian. As a matter of fact, it's a gift only given to the apostles as far as we see in Scripture. So the apostles definitely had this gift. They got it from from Jesus himself. Uh, Just to comment on summarizing Jesus' ministry of miracles, especially the healing that Jesus did. If you read through all the miracles of Jesus on his healing, here's the nature and the character of how Jesus healed. It's very different than the healing that we're hearing about today. I asked a Christian spontaneously, do you know who Benny Hinn is? I was just doing my survey of the week. He said, uh, not really, kind of, sort of, uh, I've heard of him. Oh, okay. What do you know about him? Well, isn't he kind of that goofy guy? That's a quote. Well, what do you mean? Well, he claims to, like, do miracles and raise his hands and people fall over and uh, people just are asked to touch the TV set and they can be healed. I said, yeah, that's the guy. You got it. Most famous so-called Christian healer today. Um, so if you watch these healers today who claim to have the gift of healing and they have these massive crowds of thousands and thousands of people around the world, and by the way, there's sometimes, you know, they're not necessarily an admission to get in, but sometimes there is in terms of a fee or money, but for sure they're going to pass the plate, and some of these healers uh, make millions and millions and millions of dollars each year, and many times there's a price tag to get the miracle or to see the miracle, and when you go to one of these crusades, not everybody gets to go up and get healed, It's a select few. And the rest of you, you're back in the pews and in the seats and behind the corridors and buffered by the bodyguards. And it's the healer is inaccessible. How do I know? I have been there. I have I've gone to hear miracle healing crusades like this. I actually got in line to get healed early on in my Christian life. I had a debilitating back that pretty much ended my basketball career. This was when I was in college. Brand new Christian. Heard about a healer came to fame, world-famous healer. Some of you might know the name. If I said it, I'm not going to. Stood in line for a long time uh, watching, and then the healer would put his hand on their forehead, and then the, the person would fall over, and the deacons would catch that person. They fell over and waited for about a half hour, and I finally got up there, and they asked what my ailment was, and I said, oh, my lower back, it's killing me. It really hurts, and put his hand on my forehead and pushed me back, and my, my neck went like that, and I didn't fall over. This is a true story. Now my neck hurts and my back. And then he put his hand on him again and he pushed as hard as he could. The two deacons here, they literally grabbed me by the side and slammed me to the floor. Body slam. If you were looking from 50 yards out, it looked like I was slain in the spirit. Uh, needless to say, I didn't get healed that night. I had a backache, a concussion, and a neck ache when I was done. And I wish I could say that was not a true story, but it was. But I, I believed I was going to get healed. That was a turning point for me. Contrast that with how Jesus healed. He healed everyone. Scour the Gospels. Jesus healed everyone. They believed that there was no disease left in any town that Jesus visited or ministered to. He healed anyone. There was no prejudice. There was no partiality. There were no standards. Well, you've got to believe. You've got to have enough faith. How does a dead man muster up faith to be raised by the dead? It's not contingent upon faith. 
Jesus healed everyone. He healed them completely. He healed them instantaneously. Many times he healed them with a word. It was not contingent upon anybody's faith. He healed real, organic, and chronic diseases. Not, oh, somebody out there in the TV audience has a lower back pain. And now your lower back pain is going away. Well, that may be true because you just took Tylenol. But I'm not kidding. This is the nature of the miracles that are being healed. It seems like they are always things that you can't see. There's a lower back pain. You have a severe headache. You have a toothache that is going away now and there's a tingling feeling in your mouth and I see it dissipating. Oh, you have a sh one leg shorter than the other leg and now the other leg is growing. These are the common ones that are used. You have a post-nasal drip and that's getting better. I'm not kidding. It's very frustrating. And there are always miracles you can't see, you can't verify. There are not eyewitness testimony. So Jesus did real miracles with real diseases. Lepers, deaf people, dumb people, blind people, the crippled, people with withered hands, people who were paralyzed, people without legs, Malchus's ear that he chopped off and put off right on the spot. I've never seen that in my lifetime. They're all verifiable. They had to be verifiable. They had to be public. For a reason, because if you stay in Matthew, Matthew chapter 11, at the end of John the Baptist's ministry in his life, he was in prison, he was discouraged, he was depressed, he was waning in faith. He sent his apostles to go ask Jesus, are you the Messiah? As he was on death row. Well, Jesus answered the disciples of John the Baptist. And said, well, there's evidence to prove, John, that I am the Messiah. And you know it. Let me remind you, it's from Scripture, from the Old Testament. Go and report to John. This is absolutely critical. Go and report to John what you hear and see. There it is. There were eyewitnesses to Jesus' miracles. They heard it. They literally saw it with their own Eyes. That's why if you trace the miracles that Jesus did in the four Gospels, many times it said people were amazed. People were awestruck. Because one of the words for miracle is wonder. That's amazement. That is, uh, that is astounding by someone who was an eyewitness and they actually saw it happen. It was verifiable. It was even scientific. It could be validated with the senses. It's not just some hearsay. I was watching again YouTube. All kinds of sermons about so-called popular healers today. And without exception, every single one of them is standing in front of their congregation. Yeah, I know so-and-so. And Pastor Wigglesworth 50 years ago. And he raised somebody from the dead. And let me tell you about it. And he goes on for 25 minutes. I'm thinking, wait, this guy was not an eyewitness. And it's hearsay. And yet the crowd is being oohed and awed. And they believe, oh, he, that must be true. No. Jesus said to John, report to John what you hear and see it is not hearsay it is eyewitness testimony so that I, I am skeptical when i hear stories about these amazing things that people do if it's only by some shady story given by somebody and there's no direct line of an eyewitness anybody can say anything they want to that's what deceivers do Report to John what you hear and see. Well, what did they hear and see? What is the evidence that Jesus is Messiah? Verse 5 of Matthew 11. The blind receive sight. I do healings. As the Messiah was supposed to. He's quoting out of the Old Testament there. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. That was, that's something that rarely happened. 
A leper getting cleansed was a big deal. The deaf hear, the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. So that was the nature of Jesus' miracle. And the apostles, they did the same thing. Uh, You go into the book of Acts and you watch all the miracles of the apostles and the healing that they did. It was the same thing. It was just like Jesus. It wasn't miracles of nature, but the the healing miracles that they did. So I'm going to summarize it for you because we don't have time to go through the whole book of Acts. Going through the book of Acts and the epistles of Peter and Paul, here was the nature of the miracles of healing that we find. All of these healing miracles and all of these miracles of casting out demons by someone who had the gift were done only by apostles. That's significant. Or an apostolic associate. And those are very rare. Stephen is one. He was chosen as a deacon in Acts chapter 6. And Philip, the evangelist. That's it. The only people that did miracles of healing and miracles of casting out demons in the New Testament were apostles. In other words, uh, no non-apostle was doing these miracles. Acts chapter 5 verse 12 is explicit. These miracles were being done, casting out demons, healings, raising from the dead, quote, at the hands of the apostles, end quote. As a spiritual gift. Uh, And even these miracles, when the apostles did it, it was rare. It was sparingly. It wasn't happening all the time. That is significant. When we hear the testimony, it sounds like miracles are happening all all over the place. Uh, Again, Benny Hinn, I'll just quote on TBN. He said that uh, he's healed people, raised people from the dead. And him and the ministry of TBN have raised, quote, hundreds and thousands of people from the dead, end quote. By asking them to get their television close to them, put their hand, have a friend or somebody put the hand on the television, pray for the dead person, bring the dead body in front of the television, and hundreds and thousands of people have been raised from the dead. Did you know that? Not one uh, stitch of evidence has ever been produced in all these years. They make it sound like raising people from the dead is commonplace and every Christian should be doing it. Oral Roberts said the same thing. He raised uh, hundreds and hundreds of people of the dead, supposedly, over the course of his ministry. Uh, Kenneth Copeland says the same thing. Kenneth Hagin, they've uh, combined, they've raised like 9 billion people from the dead, which is more than the population of the world. And I'm hardly exaggerating. Compare that with what the Bible says. Resurrections were extremely rare. Do you know that there are only three resurrections from the dead in the entire Old Testament? Only three. Two of them, one of them wasn't even done by a person. In the Gospels, do you know that there are only three times where Jesus is said to have raised someone from the dead? Only three. He did raise the dead, but only three are given. In the, New, the rest of the New Testament, only two resurrections took place that we know of by the apostles. No one else was risen from the dead. That's it. Jesus himself raised himself from the dead. It's kind of scary that in Revelation 13, the Antichrist will be raised from the dead. That's frightening, isn't it? Who raises him from the dead? Probably Satan, allowed by God himself. So this idea that Raising people from the dead is, oh, no biggie, commonplace all the time. I have the gift. Send me money. No, it was rare that the apostles did these miracles. And they did it only to validate their ministry, that what they were saying was true and they represented Christ and they were giving direct revelation. These gifts, I believe, the miracles of healing and of powers, died with the apostles. Church history is absent of any testimony of any legitimate miracles happening like this in the church by those with the gift of healing and miracles. There are examples of people being healed in church history, and it's 
usually if it's a legitimate story, it's because of prayer. It's because of prayer and God's grace and mercy and his prerogative. So we believe in miracles of healing. But the gift of healing and the gift of casting out demons is a gift that went away with the apostles because they were the only ones who did it. And by the way, Paul is explicit. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, mark it down, key verse in this very topic. 2 Corinthians 12, 12, Paul reminds, by 2 Corinthians 12, the Corinthians had just spiraled down into the gutter. They got to the point where they just didn't like Paul at all and they thought he wasn't even an apostle. They had no respect whatsoever. He had no credibility. And the apostle Paul had to remind them, I am an apostle. What are you people thinking? When I was in your midst, I did miracles. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, he said, the signs, the marks, the legitimacy, the credentials of an apostle are signs, wonders, and mighty deeds which I did in your midst. So Jesus, there Paul says it explicitly, the ability to cast out demons, dunamis, and the do, to do miracles of healing was the mark or the sign or the credential of an apostle. And outside of that, we don't see this happening in the New Testament as a gift by someone on a regular basis. So very important, very helpful from the apostle Paul. I can give you many more verses, just don't have time to go into that. And so... Um, the healing always validated the message of the apostles. There was no con- point of contact needed. You didn't need holy oil or holy water that you needed to purchase and buy and hold onto it and pray or a little piece of cloth or put your hand on the television. Usually it was by a word. Uh, it was never staged. It was never a show. It was never isolated. It was never hearsay. It was usually among the crowds and spontaneous and validating their ministry. It was real diseases. These are the kind of miracles that the apostles did in contrary to what we're hearing about today. Uh, So with that, um, let's go to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, because uh, God is still the same God. He hasn't changed. He's still a God of power. He's still a God of grace and mercy. He still has love and compassion on his people. He still has love and compassion on his creation. Jesus didn't just do miracles to validate his ministry. There was an element, the fact that he was the loving shepherd and there was compassion in his heart. You know, Jesus hurt when he saw people who were sick, ailing, crippled. That hurt him in the gut. He's the creator. That made him sad. It tore his soul asunder. He wept when Lazarus died. So... There was that personal shepherding, loving component that came with the miracle of healing on the part of Jesus and the apostles. And God still feels that way, even though I'm saying that the gift of miracles and healing died out with the apostles. We can still go to God for healing. We can still go to God for prayer. Look at James 5.13. Is anyone among you suffering? This is in your church, your congregation. Any believers among you that are suffering? Then we'll do what? Pray. It's not go get the faith healer. Take him to the stadium and take him up to the faith healer. Turn on the tube and put your hand on the television. No, is anyone suffering? Pray. Anyone among you cheerful? Uh, Sing praises, be sympathetic with that person in their state of life, whether it's good or bad. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? There it is. Is anyone among you sick? Is anybody in your congregation sick? We have sick people in our church today. We have mild sicknesses. We have severe sicknesses. We have life-threatening diseases in our midst. 
God cares. God knows. God wants us to plead before his gracious throne and pray. Anyone among you sick? Notice, then they must. Now, it's not an option. A church needs to be aggressive thinking about it's sick and it's needy. We need to be prayerful. We need to be going before the throne of God. We must call for the elders. They need to be involved. They need to be proactive. They need to know their saints and their people. Call for the elders of the church. And the elders, along with the saints, are to pray over the sick. Anointing them with oil. The oil doesn't heal them, by the way. It's not the oil that heals them. Verse 15, the prayer offered in faith will be answered with either a yes or no from God, who is sovereign. It's the prayer that is answered in faith. And if God so chooses in his grace and mercy for his purposes to heal someone, he will restore the one who is sick. And it's all kinds of sicknesses. And the Lord can raise him up. And if he has committed sin, some, some sicknesses are self-induced because of sin and unwillingness to repent of sin. And their sins also will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Some of our sicknesses have to do with our unconfessed sin in our life. Not all of it, but some of it. So this is just a wonderful um, reminder for every Christian, every church to be praying for the sick in our church and praying for the sick and of anybody that you know. Pointing them to God, pointing them to Christ, pointing them to the great physician. I don't have the gift of healing. Uh, and sometimes I'm, I'm glad I don't. Why would I want to go to a someone who's lived a full, jubilant life before Almighty God, they're ready to go to heaven and they're on their deathbed and they're telling me, I can't wait to see Jesus. Oh, well, I don't want to heal you and make you stay in this miserable life. The greatest healing of all is going to be with Christ, isn't it? To be in his immediate presence for, with a great physician where you will be healed perfectly, not just on the outside, but even more so on the inside. I want healing on the inside. I want my yucky, indwelling sin to be eradicated. That is the ultimate healing for the Christian. And that's what Johnny Erickson Tata, who's been crippled, she's up in her 70s now and got crippled at age 16 and came to know Christ. Got sucked in a little bit to charismatic thinking and longing for that miracle and being healed and mad at God and he didn't heal. Kept studying her Bible and made, came to realize he's pro provident, but he is sovereign. He's in control. It's his will. It's at his discretion. You can still have a full life if you know Christ personally in spite of your ailment, your disease, your handicap, whatever it is. And she came to realize that. And she served God with her fullness. It has been an example for many. And I'll never forget a little blurb, pre-blog days she wrote. And the title was, What I Desire Most About Heaven. Johnny Erickson taught it. And I thought, well, it's obvious. She, she wants a resurrection body so she can walk around on the streets of gold. That was not what she wanted. What I want most in heaven, what I long for most in heaven is when I will be liberated from this fallen world and my fallen body to be in the immediate presence of Jesus and once and for all have my sin eradicated. It lives in me and haunts me all the days of my life. Amen to that. That's what I long for. That's what we need to long for. That's the right focus and the right priority. So with that, just by way of summary, I believe the gifts that Paul is delineating here and reminding the Corinthians that, you know, not all of you Corinthians have the same gifts. 
And not all of you have the gift of healing and not all of you have the gift of casting out demons. As a matter of fact, says the Apostle Paul, I had that gift in your midst. You saw it. And it's for a specific purpose. And he's putting a check on their humility in terms of the giftedness they have that it came from God and how they're supposed to use that to serve and edify others. That is the purpose of a spiritual gift, not to glory and gloat of how wonderful your gift is and how it's more dominant and showy than others. And for us practically, uh, from this, we need to be reminded, we need to be discerning. Uh, No doubt some of you know Christians who are deceived or misled or a little confused by this. And to the best of our ability, we need to encourage them and shepherd them and keep taking them back to Scripture. Hopefully they'll submit to Scripture and not be deceived anymore. And also, uh, we need to get out and represent accurately the cause of Christ. Because sometimes, do you know that there are some unbelievers, when they, think of, when they hear about a Christian, what they think of is someone like a Benny Hinn. And when you say you're a Christian, that's what they think of you. That, that's damning. That ruins your testimony before you even open your mouth. That's why it's so dangerous. So we need to be salt and light in a favorable way to the world as we live in a way that honors and glorifies Christ. And finally, we need to be comforted knowing we still have the great physician, a personal relationship with him. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And at any time, he invites any Christian to pray for sickness, for healing. And we have to rest in him and trust him that he's going to do it at his discretion for his glory. He knows better than we do. Amen? With that, let's go ahead and pray and commit our day to the Lord. Father, we thank you for our time together and again, the opportunity to look to your word. Thank you for preserving scripture for us. We can stand on it. It is trustworthy, just without error. And we rock solid truth. It's real. It's living. It's active. It uh, penetrates our heart. It sensitizes our conscience. It opens the mind of our understanding. Thank you. Jesus, you are right. Truth sets us free. God, help us to rest in you, to trust you, to have faith. Especially when we're confronted with practical problems like sin uh, or disease, sickness, the trials of life. Remind us to first pray to you, to ask for sustaining grace, to have the willing heart to submit to your will, and to thank you regardless of the result that came from your hand all that you might be glorified. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.